Hello, I'm Amber Athey, The Spectator's Washington editor, and I'm here to encourage you to subscribe to The Spectator's American edition. If you visit spectator.us forward slash subscribe, you can get our print and digital edition for just $7.99 a month. This means you get unlimited access to our amazing website and we'll send you a beautiful 80-page monthly magazine. You'll also have access to our mobile app. Subscribe now at spectator.us forward slash subscribe. You won't regret it. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and now the Joe Biden presidency. We will be looking at how a 78-year-old president will change America and we'll be asking if normalcy, which is what he promised to bring, has returned to American politics. The answer, of course, is no. I'm joined today by Owen Matthews, who is the Spectator's Moscow correspondent. And we're going to be asking, what does Vladimir Putin think about President Joe Biden? Owen, in a a very good piece on the Spectator World website yesterday, you described the summit between Putin and Biden as a diplomatic nothing burger. However, it's probably a good thing in a lot of people's minds that there was no great clash between the two leaders and that it went rather more smoothly than people were anticipating. That's certainly true. It went smoothly. Both sides stuck to their scripts. Biden actually managed to resist the urge to come down like a, like a tonne of bricks on Putin, despite very considerable political pressure, obviously, in the US to be tough on Russia, including hilariously from the Republicans, who, in a complete sort of irony-free moment, having sort of cheerled for Trump for years, have now started accusing Biden of being soft on Russia. So, of course, Biden could have been tougher on Vladimir Putin. At his own press conference, actually, Biden was not very optimistic. So the meeting was cordial, but I don't think there was any any doubt in Putin's mind that Biden is very serious about cyber piracy, about cyber attacks. And uh, he said very explicitly that Russia was going to suffer serious consequences if it continued. But at the same time, he also said that he didn't expect Putin to change his behaviour. So the outlook is grim, sadly. Well, Biden sort of poses as somebody who's willing to talk tough to Putin and to Russia. I mean, he, he likes to brag that he told Vladimir Putin that he doesn't think he has a soul. And he claims that he said that to his face. I'm not sure I believe that he did. But, I mean, do you think that Russia is afraid of an America that's, that's more hawkish again towards Russia under, under the Democrats? Well, in order to answer that question, you have to actually sort of unpack what can America actually do to Putin and for Putin. In fact... I think ultimately American hostility paradoxically might in fact help Putin because in practical terms, the current rounds of sanctions have really gone almost as far as they reasonably can without actually collapsing the Russian economy. There are a few things that Biden could do to actually damage the Russian economy much more seriously he could actually than, than, than is being done under current sanctions. 
There are three measures that Biden could take financially that could be extremely damaging to Putin. One of them is to cut Russian banks off from the SWIFT clearing system, which means that there's no interbank transfers, no international transfers. They could properly block the international trade in Russian treasury bills, and that would actually be extremely damaging for Russia's ability to cover its debts. And the third thing is that actually it could put much more pressure on the Europeans to stop buying Russian gas, uh, which is the most politically problematic. I don't think that we're at that stage yet. I don't think Biden's willing to do that because for all of his tough talk, the one thing he doesn't really want to do is affect regime change in Russia. And that's really the bottom line here. I mean, Russia is not Iraq. It's not Syria. You have to be very careful what you wish for when you threaten Putin and talk about a Russia without Putin. Because what's amply clear from the internal Russian political situation is that if you somehow destabilize Russia, crash its economy, get Putin, undermine Putin, then you're going to get as a replacement for Putin, not a sort of liberal Western-friendly guy like Alexei Navalny, currently in prison, but something far less, far less predictable and much worse. Well, that's what I often think. I mean, do, do we think that Putin has become a sort of internationalist bogeyman, a convenient internationalist bogeyman that no one actually really wants to see the back of? I think that there are plenty of people who like to see the back of him. The question is how it can be done. In a sense, you're right. He is the devil that we know. But I think that any anyone who's serious about Russian policy understands that whoever comes after Putin actually may well be worse, and that's the that's the big fear. But that sort of brings us to the second half of my of my answer is that what can Biden do for Putin? And Putin actually depends and has depended for some time, basically since the Crimea invasion in two thousand and fourteen, on an external bogeyman for his own legitimacy domestically. During the, the Trump years, there was a bit of a paradox, in fact, because suddenly it seemed that the American bogeyman had suddenly turned nice and Donald Trump liked Putin, or so it seemed for a short while. And uh, the Russian propaganda machine was thrown into a state of confusion, like who do, who's, who's, who's the baddie now that we can blame for all of our problems? So in that sense, things are all now back on track. The America has now sort of slipped into its customary Cold War role as an antagonist number one, as the KGB used to call them. And you have a situation where Putin really doesn't really depend really economically on anything that America can do. Therefore, he exploits America to the maximum for his own propaganda value. So paradoxically, actually, American hostility actually helps prop up Putin because he's able to stoke that sort of war mentality, us against them, and you know, we're all united against a common foe. One thing Biden has done is he's lifted or, or waived possible sanctions stopping Nord Stream 2, which I think he did for the benefit of Germany, but presumably that also pleases Moscow. Well, I mean, the end of Nord Stream 2 would definitely not please Moscow. What pleases Moscow is the fact that there's such a rift. And of course, that's what Putin has been extremely adept over his years in power at what strategic thinkers call asymmetric warfare. And the, the key of asymmetric warfare is provoking your stronger enemy into self-defeating acts of overreaction. And also it's all about divide and rule. So Putin has been brilliant about exploiting splits in the West, in the Western alliance. And the biggest and most obvious of them has been that between the US and Germany over Nord Stream 2. Germany is heavily dependent on 
on Russian gas. And in fact, Gerhard Schröder, the former chancellor of Germany, was an, an advisor on Nord Stream 1. The German political elite is famously known as what they call uh, Putin understanders. And that's a link that no American president, neither Obama nor Trump nor so far Biden, has been able to crack. Germany is economically dependent on Russian gas. And they are, German companies are very heavily invested. Already, there are sanctions on Nord Stream 2, which means that European countries can no longer participate in the construction of Nord Stream 2. That's why Gazprom is going to have to do it on its own, complete the final stages. But it looks like they, they're able to do that. It's an extremely wealthy company. They have their own contractors and so on. So um, it looks like Nord Stream 2 is, is a done deal. And it's a gigantic infrastructure project, which is built. It's a you know, physical pipeline. It's not something you can easily just throw out of the window. And actually, there's a major con contractual issue. And that is all of the customers and the contractors have signed long term so-called take or pay agreements. It's very hard just to pull the plug on Nord Stream 2. And uh, as you rightly suggest, you know, that's, that suits Putin absolutely fine. You know, that's great. You know, Biden can talk the talk and sort of be, you know, act tough. But the point is that the Germans are not listening to him. Nord Stream 2 is a done deal. And Putin's won that particular round of the game. Another area where uh, Putin has, seems to have been asymmetrically very, very clever is in the Middle East and it, Russia's role in the Middle East. Do you get any sense that Biden is going to grapple with Russia's expanding role in the Middle East or... Or do you think that things have changed in the Trump years? Well, he has been extremely clever, but we need to examine what Putin has been clever about. What Putin has been clever about is exploiting an American or Western refusal to engage seriously on the ground with Syria in order to deploy an extremely tiny force of one squadron of aircraft, 30-odd aircraft, serviced by under 3,000 people, as we know from the electoral role in the Khamimim airbase. It's a tiny deployment compared to like the sort of gigantic Operation Iraqi Freedom. It's just tiny. It's 30 aircraft. But those 30 aircraft in 2015 onwards were able to turn the tide of the war. And also yield a brilliant diplomatic victory for Putin and change the course of history because without Putin, Assad would no longer be in power. I think it's pretty clear. That is technically speaking Russian involvement in the Middle East. That's true. But it doesn't really equate to anything beyond a specific intervention in very limited circumstances. Putin stepped into a power vacuum where the West feared to tread. And he won big time diplomatically. He now has an international ally, Bashar al-Assad. Congratulations. It's <laughs> Russia's now only international ally anywhere, more or less. I mean, you could talk about you know, other sort of relationships that it has in Belarus and the Caucasus and so on. But basically, so they have uh, diplomatic leverage in Syria. But what does that get them? It doesn't really actually make them a player anywhere else. It's possible if they succeed in their machinations and getting one of the Russian-backed warlords in power in eastern Libya, that could actually be another diplomatic victory. They'd be messing about in the Central African Republic. Mm. But basically, Russia's involvement in the Middle East and Africa today is a parody. It's a shadow. It's a tiny, tiny echo of what once was. And so I think it's very easy to confuse the very limited but very successful intervention in Syria with actually the, the strategic might of the Soviet Union. I mean, the, Putin is not really truly involved. 
Could you shed a little bit of light on Russia's relationship with Israel at the moment? I mean, the sort of perception is, I think, that they've got on better over in recent years. That's true. I mean, the, the, the basis of Russian friendship with Israel was always, or rather Israel's diplomatic relationship with Russia was based on Russia's supposed leverage on Iran and its relationship with Iran. Now, I don't think that that's really the case anymore, because essentially one of the most surprising things about Obama's deal with Iran was that they basically persuaded Russia to change sides. Because So having supported for years Iran's rocketry program, it's, they built a nuclear reactor, a civilian nuclear reactor. The Russians were basically you know, allies and friends of the Iranians. Obama persuaded them to basically sort of join the effort, the international effort to bounce the Ayatollahs into accepting Obama's grand deal. And I think ever since then, Russia really can't be said to be an ally of Iran. And therefore, Russia is actually much less important to, to Israel as a, as, a, as a regional player, because containing Iran is obviously a major diplomatic priority for the Israelis. Russians are important now primarily as a way of you know, pacifying Syria. But again, Syria's influence on Lebanon is now also waning because the Syrians have obviously had their own very serious problems in the last nine years. They actually have uh, now probably less influence over, direct influence over the Lebanese Hezbollah than they had before. So I, I, th- I think that Russia's diplomatic player in the uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict has also waned somewhat. And there was some thinking in American circles that Russia could end up being an ally against China. But of course, Russia and China have an extremely intricate and deep relationship that a lot of Western commentators don't understand. Do you think Biden or the Biden administration have any strategy as far as Russia and China are concerned? I think Biden would obviously love to build a sort of world alliance, not necessarily against China, but but, but as, a, as a counterweight to China. I think that's also the basis of his thinking of not finally pulling the plug, not taking the final step towards all-out antagonism with Russia. He still wants to keep that door open for the very simple reason is that if Russia is not able to sell its gas to Europe, it will sell its gas to China. If it's not able to raise money on international markets in the West, it will go to the Chinese government. And that's the paradox that you've put your finger on, is that actually the one thing that Biden does not want Putin to do is to go into the arms of of the Chinese. And finally, Putin, after the summit, called Biden a professional. You need to be very careful when working with him so as not to miss something. I can assure you this was absolutely clear to me. It sounds to me like that's quite a diplomatic way of saying he doesn't think much of Biden, but perhaps I'm missing something. Well, Putin is, is, is always very careful. He, he's sort of the, the, the opposite of Trump. You can always rely on Putin to be completely anodyne and very rarely. I mean, he used to, he used to give some pithy, pungent quotes in, 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 in the early part of his career, but he's, he's always super diplomatic. And he's... I think a better indication of what Putin thinks and what the Kremlin thinks of Joe Biden comes from the propaganda message that's being put across on Russian state television. And that, that is basically that he's a sort of old dotard that's sort of verging on senility. And he's openly mocked across the airwaves in, in Russia. And he's all, you know, in the same way that he's probably open, openly mocked on the airwaves in, in parts of the American media too. I've, I've been accused of calling him senile too much, yeah. <laughs> I think basically 
Biden is bad news for Putin. Trump was a gift, not because he was a Russian spy, not because he was a Russian sleeper agent or somehow secretly under the control of the, of the FSB. That's all nonsense. Trump was an absolute gift to the Russians because he's a disruptor. And that's what Russians love. The more disruptive uh, an American president can be to NATO, to the Western alliance, to, to, to the whole sort of Western system, the more he can discredit American democracy, the more crazily he behaved. Trump was an absolute godsend. Biden is back to sort of business as usual. And that spells bad things for Putin. Because not only if Biden does succeed in repairing NATO and strengthening the Western alliance, then the chances of combined concerted effort, reactions against possible further outrage by Russia are going to be much higher. But also, I think that it means that the adults are back in charge in the State Department. And you know the, what Dominic Cummings would call the blob, um, the sort of the Russia watchers, the professional diplomats and strategists that were basically in charge of Russia policy before Trump just threw it up in the air, are now back in charge. Owen, it's always a great pleasure talking to you and um, thank you very much for coming on.